Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today. And like always, it's our pleasure to welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. The panel for today, I would like to say hello to Brenton. Good to have you with us. Nick, it's good to be here. And this is a really interesting study. We're looking forward to sharing it with our listeners. Absolutely. And Lija, it's good to have you with us too. Oh, praise the Lord for that. It's a blessing. Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's always, always a pleasure to be here. And Len, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for putting together this Bible study and uh, uh, we welcome you to the program. Please take us through, Len. Well, first of all, hello, listeners. And uh, thank you, Nick, for the invitation. You'll find that this is a very interesting study that cuts across a lot of things that people experience in their normal lives. But last week, we followed the life of the Old Testament character Abram. At the age of 75, God spoke to him, telling telling him to leave where he was living and go to a place the Lord would show him. Soon after arriving at Canaan, a drought forced Abram to go to Egypt, where he and his wife Sarai and nephew Lot plus all the servants and animals waited out the drought. God intervened after Abram deceived the Egyptian king regarding his marital status. So back to Canaan they go with much stock and servants. Lot was taken prisoner when enemies overthrew Sodom, where Lot lived. Again, God showed his power and presence when Abram led a counterattack on the invaders and rescued Lot. Life in the new land settled down, but Abram was concerned that he had no son and heir, as Sarai was unable to conceive. This week we'll see Abram's faith tested and also see God's power, blessings and faithfulness to Abram. However, before beginning such an important and interesting study, we would like to invite the Lord's presence to be with us, the panel, and with you, the listeners. Thank you, Brenton. Father in heaven, I just want to say thank you on behalf of us as a panel and those who listen, that the God of heaven who called Abram, who later became Abraham, calls us today to follow him. We pray, Lord, that As we study this very important topic, we may understand the circumcision that we will discuss is circumcision of the heart. I pray, Lord, that our hearts may be soft and tender and um, open to your Holy Spirit as he leads and guides us in our study today. May our listeners feel your presence, Lord, as they are here, and may we be like Abram in the sense that we are faithful to you no matter what. We pray that our relationship with you will grow as we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. God revealed himself to Abram again. But what was the message this time? Well, Abraham, had. if we just kind of look at a bit of background to this, um, before God revealed to him, before God revealed himself to Abraham, um, there was that, that um, 
battle that those kings of Sodom and the kings of Elam, and there was the, the spoils of war that were to be divided. And it was, you know, it was a wonderful reunion for Lot and his family and Abraham. But after that, there seemed to be a little, perhaps Abraham, Abraham felt a little flat. And so God appears to him and he says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, if we consider what had actually happened, Abram and his men, and as well as a, a few of his neighbors, they had actually routed the enemies. They have rescued, if you like, the kings of Sodom and, and Gomorrah and other kings in the Vale. And so now, technically, they were be under the culture of the day, they could have been Abram's slaves because he had rescued them, therefore they were his spoils. And um, very kindly, they were, you know, they offered the spoils to Abram, which he declined. It's a very, it's very good reading in, um, in the earlier chapter. However, um, Abram, believe it or not, would have had a bit of a target. He would have felt that there was a target on his back because there might have there might have been someone of the routed armies, the rescued armies, the, the someone could have sent an assassin, and perhaps he was feeling a little uncomfortable at this stage, as well as foregoing, foregoing quite a, you know, he could have been really the new king of Sodom, couldn't he? Um, technically, because he was the rescuer, he was the saviour. And yet he's feeling a little flat, unsure here, and... Um, God appears to him and reassures him. He says, do not be afraid, Abraham. You know, don't worry. I am with you. Nothing can happen to you. I am your shield and your very great reward. So anything that you feel you might have missed out on, I will make up for it. And so the promise for us today is it doesn't matter what we have to walk away from or what we miss out on or the pleasure that we might forego because of God. Because he is our shield, our defense, our rock, and a very great reward, and nothing compares. And so there's a spiritual lesson for us here today. Yes, and that was uh, quite a statement to Abram, and he would have felt very comforted, I think. However, Abram had a concern. So what did he say back to God here? Abram had a concern. I would like to read verse 2 and 3 from chapter 15 in Genesis. But Abraham said to God, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So Abraham was still doubting and he realized here in the present time but God came to him in a vision after reassuring him and he reassured him that he will have a son from his own body so Abraham believed in him I would like to say that Abraham waited about 10 years after he arrived here in in this country and because he hasn't seen any changes he just worried and worried and worried he wasn't sure about God's reassurance but God came here and he reassured him that 
he will have a child of his own. Yes, I'm sure he uh, thought after God promised that he would have a child that it might happen straight away. But God does things in his own time and sometimes he does that to test our faith. Well, God then made a promise to Abram. And what was it? And how did the Lord demonstrate what he had promised? In Genesis 15, verse 4 and 5, uh, God basically tells Abram, as Lydia has said, that your heir will be someone that will be born from you, not someone born in your household. Now, I want you to go outside, Abram. I want you to look at the sky. And the sky in the Middle East at the right time of year is full of stars. Uh, having been there myself, I know how starry it can be. I believe um, that you can see with the naked eye about 2,000 stars approximately. Uh, we, of course, we know there are millions and millions, possibly billions of stars. I think what God is trying to get across to Abram is look at the stars and if you can count them, and the obvious answer to that is no, you can't, um, your descendants are going to be of a similar order. He's really saying, Abram, you see this situation of having a child with yourself and Sarai as being impossible. I'm telling you to look at the stars. Can you count them? No, you can't. But I'm telling you this, Abram, if you can't count the stars, you need to trust me because I know the stars. I've created them. I know exactly how many there are. And I'm telling you that your um, descendants are going to be of that order. I think God is trying to build his faith up by showing him the impossible and saying, you need to trust me. I'm in control. If I've promised that you will have a child, you will. I'm sure that gave him a lot of hope and confidence. But the Bible then comments about Abram's reaction. What was it? Yeah, Len, if I could just um, uh, read this passage, actually, in Genesis uh, chapter 15 and verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Yeah, that's beautiful here, because we uh, know about Abraham, you know, and uh, even today we like to think and say, you know, the father of all faithful, you know, all righteous People. It's interesting that the verse here doesn't say necessarily that Abraham was righteous, but God counted to him as righteousness, his faith. I mean, he believed in God. And this is very important uh, for us today also, because, you know, people are kind of uh, put off sometime with the Christian behavior. I mean, not, not to even uh, Understand that we are all sinners, you know, and it doesn't mean that we need to, um, you know, to misrepresent God. But I believe it's very important to stand for what we believe, because that's what God counted to Abraham as righteous. Yes, I think you said it very well there, Nick. Abraham wasn't necessarily righteous in himself, but this belief uh, was counted as righteousness. And I think this is very important for us too, listeners. Sometimes there are things which you just cannot grasp. You can't wrap your mind around it. But if God says it, it's true. And so we have to accept that. Whether we feel that it's uh, reasonable or not, when God says it, it's, it's true. 
Well, Abram also had another concern, and um, it was about the land where he was dwelling as a nomad. Would you like to share with us a bit here, Brenton, and tell us what was going on? Yes, basically God asked him to do a certain thing, to take certain animals, and it's interesting that these animals are actually sacrificial animals. Uh, It says in verse 11, I'm going to read it, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sacrifice was to cut the animals in two and put them in two separate rows. And what would happen is those who were agreeable, those who were parties to the covenant would walk between them. Now, obviously, Abram walked between them because it says he drove away the vultures and the eagles that came down to feast on them. But then it says when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, horror and great darkness was upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Then he goes on to talk a little bit further about that. And then in verse 18, it says, On that same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So what God is is doing in this uh, service of covenant making, and it's interesting that um, God himself comes down. The symbol of God is the fire and the smoking um, torch that passes between uh, these animals. That's a symbol of God's presence and his ratification of the covenant with Abram. Here in this uh, ceremony is delineated what the area would be that would be occupied by Abram's descendants from the river of Egypt to the river of Euphrates. Interestingly enough, due to their unbelief later on, uh, I think there's only two occasions where they ever actually reached that point. I think under Solomon and David, they actually reached the full extent of the land that God had promised to them. So God's promises are always true, and this particular experience ratifies that God has said, I will do it, Abram, trust me, but there's going to be a period during which your um, successors are going to be persecuted. Notice he doesn't name who's going to persecute them, but he says they're going to be persecuted and then they're going to come out with great possessions And after 400 years, I'll bring you back here again. So um, there's a fair bit in that, Len. (laughs) I don't know that I can say too much more other than we have, uh, just like he did with expecting a son, he has to trust God that God will carry out his part as far as allowing them to occupy the land of Cain. Yes, well, at this stage, Abram had two promises Mm. which had not been fulfilled. And I ask myself the question, have I ever had a time when I acted according to a promise, not necessarily a promise of God? For example, when I asked my then girlfriend to be my wife and she readily answered yes, to which I was very pleased, (laughs) until the actual occurrence of our marriage, I lived on a promise. So did she. So we live on promises, 
But we um, we have an expectation when those promises are made by someone who is known to be reliable. Mm. And God is reliable. And God really tested Abram and Sarah here about a son and about the land they would occupy. Ten years later, they still didn't have a, have the promised son. So what proposal did Abram's wife, Sarai, make? Uh, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, uh, Abram's wife, had borne no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord had, has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So this is a human strategy. <laughs> Sarai takes the initiative of a surrogate mother. This common practice um, was uh, very efficient in, in the, the, the ancient Near East where they lived. And uh, uh, we know that there are two alternatives. It's God's way and man's way. So Sarai uh, chose now the man's way. And uh, I can note here that God is absent during the whole course of action. Sarai speaks about God, but she never speaks to him. She never asks him in prayer about this. She never talks about it with God. Well, that's a good point, Ledger. Yes. We read of the interchange between God and Abram, but we don't read of any interchange between Sarai and God either. Well, here was the proposal. Take my Egyptian handmaid and have a child by her. What was wrong with that proposal? Well, learn from the cultural point of view, um, nothing. Um, apparently under Hammurabi's law, this was entirely um, an appropriate method, an acceptable means of gaining an heir. And we know that um, the other option was that, you know, and, and Abraham had already said that this Eliza you know, he will be mine heir. And God said, no, um, it might be according to the, you know, the land you're living in, but it's not acceptable with me. And then, of course, the other option was to get a surrogate mother. And um, so from the, the cultural standpoint, there was nothing wrong and it was completely appropriate. But from the point of, point of view of God, it showed impatience in God's dealings. You know, I, Abram believed that he could help God keep his promises. Um, and sometimes we might feel like that too, that God needs our help and our intervention. And we unfortunately get impatient and grisly with God when he doesn't operate according to our own timetable. The unfortunate consequences of this action um, was that it created progeny which continued to vie one against the other for the promised land and contributes to some of the complexities in the Middle East which continue up until this day. Yes, well, we've certainly seen that. Well, <clears throat> uh, I'm not having a dig at women here. <laughs> so I, I don't believe men are superior to women according to God. But just like what happened in the Garden of Eden where Eve was deceived, and then she gave Adam the fruit for him to eat it. It was a similar situation. Sarai made the proposal, and Abram agreed to it. Well, what happened here? Brenton? 
Well, basically what happened here is pretty unfortunate to follow on from what Joe has said. Hagar becomes pregnant. When she finds out she's having a baby, instead the relationship, notice how the relationships change. The relationship particularly between Sarai and Hagar, one is the mistress and the other is the maid, the relationship has now changed because the maid has discovered that she's pregnant and uh, she's beginning to despise her mistress who was unable to have children and that brings its own dynamics into the family. It brings quarrelling, it brings jealousy and to make matters worse, poor old Abram who had consented to what his wife told him to do, she turns on him in verse 5 and basically says, I'm, you, this is your problem. I told you to go into your maid and have children by her. Now that she's pregnant, she despises me. You're the problem here. Um, really, <laughs> the bottom line is he should never have consented to this, even though what Joe said is correct, according to the custom of the time. He should have said, look, God has promised that we would have our own child. Let's wait and see whether God fulfills it. They've waited a long time. They're probably becoming impatient. But the end result of it is that um, when she does have a child, then there's further problems, and, and so it goes. We'll discuss that a little bit further on. But one of the things, I think the main thing you can take from this, Lynn, is this. If we do not trust God fully and we do not allow him to work it out and we try and help him, there may be some short-term gain from it, but the long-term benefits will not be there. And the long-term benefits will actually be harmful rather than beneficial. And I don't think anyone needs to be um, admonished or um, convicted or convinced uh, that the long-term results of this liaison have not been good. We see the results of it even back here in 2022 in the conflict between these peoples. Thank you. Yes, um, there are two issues at stake. One is waiting on the Lord, which is yes. mentioned in that famous verse in Isaiah, and the other is running ahead of the Lord. Well, what what consequences does running ahead of the Lord have? Lydia? I would like to read a passage which I found that very important. God had promised Abraham a son, but for a human perspective, time was running out. In fact, with Abraham nearly 86 and Sarah, Sarai 76 years old, most people would have said that time had already run out. Obviously, Ab Abraham and his wife Sarai, God needed help. In the ancient Near East, it was acceptable for a barren woman to give her maid as a substitute to bear children for her. So Sarai suggested Abram take Hagar and let her bear his child. In his hurry, Abram ran ahead of God, and the consequences are still felt in the Middle East today. The Arab nations descended from Ishmael, the son of the maidservant, and Israel descended from Abraham's legitimate heir, Isaac, continued to be bitter enemies. For me, it's very, uh, I am perplexed on the fact that this faithful Abraham 
who spoke to God so many times, who God showed himself to him and reassured him so many times, he accepted uh, Sarai's uh, decision, her human decision. Why he didn't inquire God again? Because he was speaking to God so many times. And he, he it said that he, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's amazing. It's interesting how our lives goes on um, downfall so many times as it happened to him. And we have to be careful in this in these moments when we go downhill to realize that we have to lift ourselves up. Okay, well, you know, this pretty much typifies some of the arguments or discussions we come across in the New Testament, particularly in the book of James, about faith and works. Faith is believing in God and waiting on God, and works in this case is getting into it and doing it yourself. And it, it demonstrates what may happen if somebody wants to save themselves by their own works. And interestingly enough, this is kind of an example. Anyhow, what happened to Hagar Sarai's maid? If I could uh, speak here, Len, um, this is a very interesting story all, all about this situation with Abraham and Sarai and uh, Hagar. And I heard uh, from you guys um, uh, quite uh, often saying that, that the custom of the day or the culture um, I mean, probably also right in that culture to, um, you know, to have that sort of relationship. I don't know. Uh, it's long time ago. But what I would like to say is this, that culture doesn't prove anything, you know, for us to be to accept certain things. Because even today we have that conflict of culture. And myself, when I came into the Western culture <laughs> from the East, I had a lots of uh, things, you know, which confused me. And people will, will start to defend some of their uh, behavior because of the cultural aspects. What I would like to say that culture never proves that what we do is right. To be right, we need to check with what God has to say. I mean, talking here about a, a, a spiritual application. And um, I really, I really want to um to point out that because um yes many times we we fall into all sorts of uh, behavior and sin because of cultural acceptance and in this case with hagar i believe both of them are wrong abraham and hagar even though we may think that because of in the Middle East there and Hagar may not uh, be able to have a say, that's not quite right. Every human being on this earth has a right to stand for something what they believe it's right. And unfortunately, Hag Hagar carry, carried also her guilt. And if we read in, um, in Genesis chapter 16, and um, starting with verse 6, here was a complaint already by Sarai, because uh, Hagar, now by this time she got pregnant, 
and um, she looked upon her uh, mistress. She despised her. Yeah, she despised her, Brenton. And, you know, that was a very interesting thing because Agar was her servant, you know. And while this happened, of course, Sarah uh, was not happy and she approached approach Abraham. Interesting enough that she came with the idea and then things turned in wrongly, you know, with, and she, she accused Abraham. And Abraham, to get rid of a bit of that problem, you know, get out of his hands, said, okay, she's in your hands, do with her whatever you like. And then Sarah started to, uh, to really put pressure on uh, Hagar. And Hagar decided to run away. And then God met her, you know, in the desert and say, what are you doing here, Hagar? Where are you going or where are you coming from? And she explained to God that, look, uh, Sarai, she's really putting pressure on me uh, because of the situation. But it's interesting that God is not saying either way that, oh, that's not right, Sarai, to do that. Actually, in other words, God is saying, you know what? I will promise you something that your seed will be a great seed, you know, but you need to go back to Sarai. Yes. And this is what I would like to really, really emphasize here. Every little thing in our life, in our misbehavior, you know, it has a consequence. And the consequence with Hagar was that she had to bear that, even that pressure, if you like. Uh, from into the, into the household. But it was followed by a promise that I know, you know, uh, and it's not fair, Sarai, to do that to you. And I'll make you a great uh, nation also. But you need to go back. And if, if I like to take a lesson here, Lennon panel, is that we need to be responsible for what we do and accept the consequences. There are many things in the Bible which uh, tells us about that. If we think of David, King David, or many others, you know, and are we prepared to accept some of the consequences and then give ourselves to God and trust in him that he will sort out our problem? Yes, thank you. There must have been a lot of pressure in that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, God hadn't forgotten, and God reiterated his promise he made earlier, and um, he said that you will have descendants from your own body. Well, Brenton, what sign was there to signify that Abram and his servants and offspring were in a covenant relationship with God? In other words, God has blessed us, blessed these people. Um, there was something specific given mm to show there was a relationship between Abram and his offspring and God. Would you mm. like to tell us more about that? Certainly. It was the sign of circumcision. But before I get to that, Len, there was something very important in um, Genesis 17, verse 1, which precedes it. And it says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God. Now, the name used for God here is El Shaddai, previously not used in the Bible before this. Walk before me and be blameless. Um, as I come to uh, talking about the 
circumcision, this walk before me is particularly interesting. To walk before God means to be inspected by God. It means to um, to be able to for God to be able to to thoroughly examine you and see whether your walk is blameless. It's a very different walk from Enoch that we studied a few weeks ago, where it says he walked with God, and Noah, where it said he walked with God. Here we're being told by God. To Abram, I want you to walk before me. And I believe the reason for this is what took place in chapter 16, which we've just been discussing, where they decided to take matters into their own hands and sort the matter out. And God is basically saying, okay, I want to continue the relationship with you, but I want you to walk before me on this occasion. Now, it's interesting then in Romans 4, Paul tells us that Abram was justified before he was circumcised. God gave circumcision to Abram. He said, all the males of your household are to be circumcised. And this was a sign um, from there on for all uh, Abraham's progeny uh, that they were set apart, especially by God. But the important issue is that it wasn't circumcision. Circumcision was just the sign. Circumcision was not the event. Abram was um, justified, according to Paul in Romans 4, before he was circumcised. When you go back to the start of our study today, where it said in chapter 15, verse 6, and Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is prior to circumcision. So the circumcision is an external sign that of something that has taken place. Now, the uh, to apply that to our life today, we, don't, we aren't circumcised physically as a sign that God is our um, God anymore. The spiritual circumcision the Bible talks about is baptism by immersion. And I think there's a big um, connection between the two. In the Old Testament, it was an evidence that they were God's people. In the New Testament, when you enter the waters of baptism, you were simply demonstrating publicly a decision that you've already made that you're going to follow the Lord and be faithful to him under all circumstances. Yes, Nick, do you have something to add? Yes, Len. Uh, as Brendan actually was pointing out and uh, mentioning that uh, beautiful verse in, uh, in chapter 17, verse 1, that God appeared to Abraham after all this uh, mess up thing, you know. God appeared to Abraham and he was 99 years old. And God says, I am God Almighty. You know, I am God Almighty. Now, you really stuffed it up, the situation. But, you know, from the beginning, I had a plan. And I'm going to achieve that. And now, if you wish to embark into this plan, and again was uh, Abraham's choice now, you know, uh, then I will make you a great nation, as I promised from the beginning. And um, thank God that Abraham probably, he looked back, he learned from all those mistakes, and he, uh, he, I would say, properly behaved this time and allowed God to fulfill his plan as the original plan was, you know, 
with Abraham. I thought, I thought that was wonderful to see. And then yeah, we can read further in the, in the verses, you know, in chapter 17, you know, all those verses up to chapter 9, how God promised Abraham that his seed will be a great nation. And, and then in verse, interesting, uh, I would just like to probably ponder on this one on verse 10. It says here, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And we mentioned about that one. It was a sign now, a sign which they had to put in place that they are committed, you know, that they are obedient, if you like. And we can talk a lot about this circumcision aspect, but um, yeah, God has amazing plans with us all. And if we fall into that position of stuffing up some things, trusting God, give yourself to God, allow God to do his will with us all, and he will take us on an amazing journey. So I guess the um, operation or the operative thing is to walk before God and not run before God. Mm-hmm. Good run before God means to take things into your own hands. Walk before God means to do what God uh, tells us to do. Just to add to whatever Brendan said, God wants our hearts to be circumcised, to be transformed Mm -hmm. and to grow and to bring lots of deeds, lots of fruit. The justified by faith is vitally important, Lynn. I believe it's relational. It's not just a case of blind obedience. You have to have a relationship with God. Abram had a relationship with God. It's building. It's got its ups and its downs, but it's building. It's building. He's great. He's coming to know God more and trust God more fully. And when Paul talks about this in Romans, I believe he's talking about a relational thing when he talks about a term that we bandy around called just, we are justified by faith. It means that we, have such a relationship with God that we totally trust him when it's going good as well as when it's going bad. Under any and all circumstances, God wants us to trust him. You can only do that if you have an intimate relationship with him. Yes. And it seems that God, although he realises that Abram has done something stupid, uh, God keeps reminding him of his plan and that God's plans will be achieved. So, Joe, uh, on top of all this, God reiterates his former promise. What was it? Well, the promise is found um, in Chapter 17. So the interesting thing is in Chapter 17, Verse 15 and 16, it says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, Thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now in the Bible, we know we are familiar that there are name changes, not just, you know, at birth, but to signify a change in character or destiny. And here we have God. God has changed their names. Um, it's interesting that Sarah is included in this name change, mother of nations. 
Um, God didn't leave her out. There's no sexism here that Abraham is somehow more important than she is. She was an equal partner in the future of all the righteous. So I think it's also important to remember that when Israel, when um, Abraham, when Abram's name was changed to Abraham, it meant the father of many, the father of many nations. And sometimes people forget it's not father of Israel or the father of the Middle East, but of many nations, people as many and as varied as the sands of the seashore. Okay, so not only did God make the promise, but he changed the name. Yes. Mother of nations and father of many for Abram. Now, Brenton, what was Abram's reaction to all this? Well, in Genesis seventeen seventeen, it says he laughed. I believe um, from uh, what I can read from the scripture and comparing it with what we've studied so far, it was almost a laugh of disbelief. Can you be serious? I'm nearly 100 years old. My wife is 90. Um, I believe his laugh was a laugh that did demonstrate some unbelief. Uh, however, he forgot something very important. God said in another place, is anything too hard for the Lord? And uh, I believe that's what he needed to have first and foremost in his mental picture when God tells him this, is that God is able to do uh, everything he said because God has led him thus far. He's led him from Ur of the Chaldees all the way here. He's protected him at every step of the way. Is God able to do what he says he is? Yes, he is. So rather than a laugh of unbelief, it should be a, a laugh, I guess, of relief. And it appears that Abram, over, he, he forgot yes. that God had protected him. Mm. It reminds us of that passage in Luke eighteen twenty seven, where it says, with man it is impossible. With God it's not. Not with God, for with <laughs> God all things are possible. Yes. Well, now we turn to something a little bit different in Genesis 18. Tell us about when the Lord visited Abram. And he was a good host to his heavenly visitors, and there was this personal message that the Lord delivered to Abram, or Abraham at this stage. What was this message? Uh, now, Abraham, this time he was Abraham with a changed name. He was sitting at, uh, at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, and when he looked up, he saw three men standing nearby. And uh, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. This is very interesting. And he said, if I have found favor in, in, in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Uh, let a little water be brought and then you may all wash uh, all your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go your own way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. So Abraham hurried into the tent and uh, to Sarah, and he said, quick, uh, get three um, seeds of fine flour and knit it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Uh, 
this is very interesting. I found it very interesting from the fact that at that time, Abraham was an old person and he got up and he ran in front of these people. He didn't know who were these people, but uh, by the fact that he was very hospitable and he was very, he treated people with um, very uh, uh, respect. He bowed down to them. And also, as he said here, uh, he actually said a word uh, to them, O Lord, which is, means Adonai. And um, he prepared, uh, let's say, a five-star uh, lunch of a restaurant because he chose the best calf, tender calf, and he prepared everything. So it was organic, it was clean, it was, you know, um, and uh, he gave to this um, unknown people to to eat. Uh, now, in uh, um, verse 11 and 12, uh, they bring him uh, a good news. Uh, actually, in verse 10, it's... Uh, in verse 9, uh, they ask, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. And he, his response was, there in the tent. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was, was listening at the entrance of the tent. And... Uh, she laughed in verse 12. It said that Sarah laughed to herself and she thought after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? So her laugh was an within laugh. This context that she laughed in her, within herself, she laughs about it. It's a laugh of skepticism. There are so many laughs in the you know, if we if we think about uh, laugh of offense, laugh of humility, laugh of disappointment, or or a vulgar laugh, it says that Jesus in the Bible doesn't say that Jesus never laughed. He it says that Jesus cries, cried, but he never laughed. But also, uh, Jesus ha- Jesus had a beautiful smiling face and uh, optimistic face and uh, welcoming face. Now in the, uh, uh, in Luke, uh, chapter six, verse 21, uh, it says a good laugh of joy, uh, and happiness. So a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So it means, um, God is the, the author of, of humor laugh. So it doesn't say that Jesus laughs, but I think God is the creator of a few more laughs because in Luke chapter six, verse 21, it says, blessed are you who weep now for you will rejoice in the day and leap for joy. So humor is created by God. All right. God must have a sense of humor after all. He created. I think he must have. Hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, Sarah laughed. And the Lord then said something. He said, this time, next year, in a year's time, you will have a son from your own body. 
Well, I guess that took all the laughing out of her laughter. <laughs> well, we turn to something else, and panel, we're going to have to uh, deal with this fairly smartly because time is running out. The Lord revealed that he intended to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the great sexual wickedness of the people. And Abraham, bar Abraham bargained with the Lord to preserve those cities if there were just how many righteous people living there, Nick? Yes, uh, Lennon panel and, and listener. Uh, that's an amazing story in the Bible. And everyone, uh, probably even not being a Christian or necessarily uh, believing in God, they will know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they, at least they may heard about this. Uh, it's interesting that now Abraham, and we discussed last week about, you know, the story of Abraham and Lot, how they separated. Um, and now God is revealing that he wants to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the weakness, you know, of those people there. But uh, Abraham remember that he has some relatives there. And he is doing something amazing here. Uh, Lija pointed out that uh, he became a, a very good man, like a hospitable. hospitable. Yeah. Uh, but now he was interested in the well-being of, uh, you know, his relatives in this case, Lot. And he as we know, he started to bargain with God. I will say a bit differently. I will say he interceded, you know, for these people in Sodom and Gomorrah with God. And he asked, but God, you know, what about if there will be 50 people in that city? Will you destroy those 50 people with the rest of the wicked one? And God says, no, I will not destroy. And anyway, the story goes, and please read this story and he says, uh, he, he got down to 10, and there were not even 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, righteous, that God may turn away his, uh, um, you know, anger. Wrath. Wrath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, an object lesson here, very quickly I'll take. What about if in Adelaide, from where we broadcast this program, will be 10 righteous people what god would would do in the city this is a sobering question because uh, we see a lot of destruction in this world a lot of heartache a lot of pain and i'm wondering how many righteous people are around for me it's so important the reason that abraham negotiated with god in saving sodom is that he lived for people and uh, his message to God, it was like, God, you are a, a just God and you cannot destroy the good with the bad. So it, we have to be the same people, people that lived for, for the bad people. Yes, I believe it's uh, an important part of being a Christian is to intercede for others, the good, the bad and the ugly or whatever. <laughs> well... Um, you know, leaving out the incident where the men of the city clamoured to bastardise the two angels who lodged the night with Lot, what eventually happened, Brenton? Summarising fairly quickly, it says in uh, Genesis 19, about verse 25, that the Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah out of heaven, not from the ground, out of heaven and that he overthrew, the, the words that he used here are overthrew, reigned, 
And then uh, Abraham gets up in the morning and goes out to have a look and see what the result of his intercession is. All he can see is smoke. The whole uh, countryside has gone up. Not only Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, but probably Admar and Zeboam and later on Zor, so the five cities of the plain. But what had once been semi-tropical vegetation and um, actually compared with the Garden of Eden as far as beauty and radiance goes, it's then the most desolate place. And those of us who have been there to the bottom end of the Dead Sea can attest there's absolutely nothing there today except pillars of salt, uh, ash felt. Um, it's, it's a barren, desolate area. So this is interesting because in Second Peter 2.6, Peter talks about God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah with eternal fire, not eternal in the sense that it's still going, eternal in its consequences. When God destroys something, it's absolutely wiped out. And that's a metaphor, I believe, for what will happen at the end of time when God destroys sin and sinners. Yeah. All right. Well, we uh, know there's plenty of evidence to say that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and um, burning sulphur. And Lot and his family left. Uh, there were two daughters and Lot's wife. And as they were leaving, Lot's wife turned around and it says in the Bible she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I believe there's an important lesson here that when we accept the Lord's promise and we make a commitment to follow him, we should never, ever go back on our commitment. And I think Lot's wife is a lesson here for all of us. Well, there's a lot more we could say about this. Do you know, listeners, we've covered a number of chapters in today's program. We've learned about God's covenants to bless Abram with a homeland for his descendants and an heir born to him with his wife, Sarah. We've learned about the trouble that uh, this happened. We've learned about how Abraham interceded for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've learned about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, about Lot's wife who looked back. There are many life lessons from these stories. However, in my opinion, the greatest lesson we can learn is that God is in ultimate control. We need to trust him as he does not fail. We hope what we've covered today has vibrated a chord in your heart, especially as it relates to your trust in the Lord and that he always keeps his promises. We're going to close with prayer now and I invite you to pray with us. Dear Father in heaven, we've learned a number of things about Abraham and Sarah and some of the difficulties they, they faced. May the lesson that we've learned today teach us that we can trust you, that we should take our issues to you and wait on the Lord, because if we do, we'll be okay. We thank you for the opportunity to share today we pray that you'll bless our listeners as they listen to this program 
and commit themselves to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That was a great Bible study um, talking about uh, this wonderful, uh, you know, uh, way which God had with his people and the government with Abraham. But we are inviting you, my dear listener, to join us again because we are going to talk a little bit more about the promise, the promise which God had uh, for Abraham and for other people, but the promise which he has for us also. May God richly bless you and looking forward to have you back with us next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.